0: Welcome to the Two Cent Dad Podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your
1: host, Mike Sudik. Dedicate a certain number, a certain block of time every day, and probably the same exact block of time, hopefully, that you're gonna be offline. Um, And and really just be as fully present as possible to your family.
0: On this episode, I talk with Dave Hoover. Dave talks about his move into software development after starting his career as a family counselor. We talk about how he managed family time while working at a growing firm that got acquired by Groupon. Let's jump into the interview with Dave. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, I guess, give for, sure. for people that don't know you. you have to give me a little background of your your history? Because I know you have, you have a pretty unique history with changing careers and everything, so. Yeah,
1: I did. Um, yeah, so um, I guess I'll start when I was uh, a kid. Uh, I was always interested in computers. Um, I was always the one to hook up the VCR that we'd rent for birthday parties, because we couldn't own one, they were too expensive. Um, <laughs> we rent VCRs and I was always the one to get, get behind the TV and put the wires in the right places. Uh, my family isn't very technical, so that was, that was pretty, pretty intense for me. (laughs) Uh, and then, and then personal computers started hitting the scene and, uh, and we ended up getting like an Apple IIe in the eighties and I loved it. Um, I, I just, I, I liked spending time on the computer and, uh, when I was about 12, I tried to teach myself basic about a book from Apple, uh, and sat there and tried to make programs work, and they and I could get them to work, but they weren't compelling enough for me to stick with it because um, I couldn't make them like do graphical things. I couldn't figure it out, and I had nobody around me to help. Um, not, no one in my family is technical at all, and I didn't have any friends who were technical at the time. Sadly, I didn't have that many friends because we had just moved. Whole <laughs> <laughs> another story, but um, anyhow, that was kind of a theme for me uh, between like childhood and like my mid twenties was getting interested in computers, but not, it just never, never getting over the hump. Um, not having any kind of social glue that would have kept me into you know, hooked me into it. Um, and, and not having en- enough people around me to help me get over that hump. Um, but I kept coming back to it cause I enjoyed, I enjoy the little feedback loops that you get from programming. That's pretty unique to programming. It's, I'd say it's unique to programming and, and like performance or, or athletics. You know, Mm -hmm. do something and then very quickly you get feedback on that thing. Unlike other things like, um, you know, a civil engineering where you have some vision, but it takes, there's so much bureaucracy, it takes a long time to like get this epic bridge built or whatever. Um, But you, you know, still get that great feeling of accomplishment, but it might take years as opposed to seconds. Sure. Anyway, I, uh, at the, along, Along the same, you know, so I'm growing up, and and I I also really enjoy working with younger people. And at the time, as like a teenager, younger people were littler kids, and as a twenty-something, younger people were teenagers. And um, and I I met with a therapist when I was uh, in my um, like junior high years, tough years for me and for a lot of other people. Uh, So I met with a therapist, and I really liked this guy, and I liked what he did and how he helped me. And so I, I, um, decided I wanted to be a therapist like him.
0: So how many, did you, where do you fall in the family? Do you have older siblings, younger siblings, old and child? I'm
1: the oldest. Okay. Yeah. I have a younger sister and younger brother. Okay. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, so going, through high school, I was pretty interested in psychology. Didn't do much with it. I took a psychology class in, in high school. That was the extent of it, but really kind of going into college wanting to major in it. Um, and I did. And then, uh, finished school. Um, and you know, it's a you know, parallel, parallel, uh, track here. Like, you know, I went to college from 1992, 1996, you know, and I watched the internet or the web happen, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of for me in my little corner of the universe happened during that time where I was going in with floppy disks and downloading games onto like seven floppy disks and taking it back to my Dorm room and playing games like I like downloaded up the internet. I remember looking up sports scores on the predecessor to ESPN.com, and um, it was exciting. And I, and I had an uncle who told me, I don't care what you're majoring in, you need to learn how to program computers, you need to learn how the web works. Um, and so I was, it was still kind of like there on the fringes, like me trying to figure it out. But uh, yeah, so anyway, but, but I stuck with psychology and in, ended up getting my master's in um, marriage and family therapy after I finished my undergrad and did that for a couple of years. But in the late 90s, um, you know, the height of the dot-com mania, I I just I – two things happened. Uh, I had a baby girl, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you mentioned earlier I'm, I'm an intentional father, but that was pretty unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My wife and I were married, uh, but uh, but we weren't ready to have kids yet, so I needed to make some extra money um, pretty quickly because she was born while I was still in grad school, actually. So I uh, got a little side job, uh, w- which required me to learn some HTML. And uh, getting that side job was was huge. It gave us a little extra money, which was which was nice because therapists don't make much. Um, but it also got me. Into the first really tight kind of programming feedback loop. Um, I mean, coding HTML and refreshing a browser um, in 1999 was like was like really fun for me um, because the web was still really novel to me and, and, uh, and uh, I was just loading a web page. It didn't, it just happened to be like saved on my computer, but I was, I was changing this thing that was happening in the browser, which felt fun. So after about a year of doing that, I realized like, I really liked this. I'd learned a little, a little JavaScript in the meantime. And, um, and I was convinced that I was ready to change careers because, um, I liked, I liked being a therapist. I had a good job, but there was something about, the act of writing code that was just very enjoyable to me. And the fact that I could get paid to do it, um, was kind of mind blowing. Uh, cause I just liked it so much. Uh, and so I went down that road and, um, got my foot in the door at a little education startup here in the Chicago area. And, uh, that, that promptly died about a year later, <laughs> um, because it ran out of funding like almost everybody else did in 2000, 2001 but it gave me an, I was finally surrounded by programmers. Yeah. So I finally had people around that I could ask questions of and who could get me unstuck and who could get me over the hump. Um, and that's what happened. Like I, I was, you know, I was just kind of fumbling around and about six months into the job, which my main job was basically being a content editor, um, who, who also needed to know some HTML. I, I finally, it was like, they gave me a shot at like fixing bugs in their code. Um, and so the, the guys, um, and, and gals, uh, helped me, uh, figure out how to do that. And, the, and then ever since then I've been basically programming. Gotcha. <laughs> that was about 15 years ago.
0: And then you, uh, cause you, you started a company then a dev shop or a partner to dev shop that then got acquired by Groupon, right? And yeah. Then,
1: okay. So, so, um, so I spent, so that right after that, the, that company died, um, was kind of a tough time uh, economically for, uh, in tech. Uh, it was the, you know, the bad years from at least for me and especially in Chicago, it was really tough to go anywhere and do anything, um, new in tech between like 2001 and 2004. Mm -hmm. So I I was just kind of like keeping my head above water and I, I was employed thankfully and got some more experience, but, um, but wasn't very fulfilled by it. And so I really spent those years as a time to educate myself, um, read a ton of books, worked on a lot of side projects, uh, open source stuff and, um, and just random stuff. But, uh, in 2004, I I got a job at ThoughtWorks, which, um, was a big, big deal for me. Uh, it was kind of this validating moment of like, wow, I got hired by a company that some people look up to and I certainly looked up to them. Um, and then two years after that, and this kind of ties into my fatherhood stuff, um, so ThoughtWorks, like a lot of consulting companies, values travel, mm-hmm. wants to travel all over the country and all over the world. And it's really cool. I mean, for certain people, it's an awesome gig. They can go spend six months in Sydney and six months in London and live in Chicago and travel to San Francisco or New York, whatever, every week or however, however much. Um, but that didn't really fit for me. Like When I, when I got hired at ThoughtWorks, uh, it was two weeks after my third kid was born. Oh, wow. Which is probably the absolute worst time you could ever get hired at ThoughtWorks or any travel intensive company. But it, my wife and I knew what we were getting ourselves into to some extent and still decided to go forward with it because it was important for our family. Um, and so we did it. It was super painful. And after two years, I'm like, it's silly for like all these great developers in Chicago to be leaving Chicago every week when there's hundreds and hundreds of companies that would could use our help here. You know, yeah. why are, why are these people crisscrossing, you know, every Monday morning between like New York, people are flying from New York to Chicago and people from Chicago are flying in New York, you know, to, yeah. come on. So, uh, I joined a little three person consulting company in 2006 called Optiva and group helped grow that, became a partner there and helped grow that for five years. And then it got bought by Groupon in 2011. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, and that's been my theme. It, and I'm, I actually haven't ever been like the original founder of something. Mm-hmm. Um, the three people that I have like kind of co-founded things with um, are also all fathers um, and, and all still married. And, uh, good. And, and provided, <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I think all of us at different times just survived by the skin of our teeth, um, our marriages, but uh, cause it's, it is very, very, tr- a difficult thing to, to swing, um, leading a business and, um, which takes, you know, when you're founding a company, the company rests on your shoulders and it's hard to, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's it is, an, it is an absolute balance to, you're also extremely responsible for your family and your, your relationships with your wife and your kids or your spouse and your kids, um, and, uh, so that it, it's, it's a balancing act, no doubt about it. So how
0: was that shift from ThoughtWorks to Optiva and when you became more of an owner then, I mean, you're, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went from kind of being an employee saying you have to go here, go there. And you made a, a conscious decision to go to uh, Optiva and become a kind of founding partner there. And all of a sudden you're the boss and you're having to make more of those decisions about this is, this is the best interest of the company for me to me to make this trip. Like what what was that transition like, and and what did that? I mean, that, that's a that's a significant transition.
1: Yeah, it, it, thankfully it wasn't sudden. Um, I was still I still very, when I joined Optiva in two thousand six, I still had the, very much the mindset of an employee. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was just more. I mean, compared to the other guys that were there already, I was just more senior. You know, but mm-hmm. still just like a senior developer. Uh, I wasn't brought in as a partner or a co-founder, um, but what happened was about six months or so into working there, I wanted to switch from the Java project we were on to a Ruby project because it was 2006 and rails was just like the hotness, right? And it still, it's mm-hmm. still is incredibly popular, but back then it was very, a very unique opportunity to get experience in a framework that was to a lot of people then clearly going to become dominant. And, and nowadays it's obvious that that happened, but, um, but that was a really pivotal moment because I w- went to Kevin and I was still had my mindset of like, all right, well, go, go find me a project to work on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. go, go make it happen, you know, which is kind of the, the way that I would approach somebody at ThoughtWorks. Like, all right, I'm ready to, to work on something new now, you know, feed me. And, he, <laughs> and Kevin responded with, um, yeah, you should totally go find a Ruby project for you to work on. <laughs> and, and you know and I'll, and we'll, and we'll have some profit sharing and stuff and if you can uh, land it you know um and that that shifted me from developer to like entrepreneur um and was a big mind shift for me because you know growing up you know but between the ages of like 20, uh, six when I started programming to like 30 or whatever i I definitely got... Got this mindset of like, well, sales is for other people, customer service is for other people, coding is for me. You know, I'm not gonna do any of that other stuff. But what I learned at Optiva was, you know, because it's a much smaller company and and it was just the I don't know, just the lessons that I learned there was that no, no customer service is something that like everybody does, and sales is something that everybody does. Um and so, the, but the nice thing for me was it, it was a, a kind of a gradual transition. It took a couple of years to get to the point where um, I was like in charge of anybody else. Um, I was definitely like leading projects and stuff, but in terms of like being anybody's direct like manager or something, it took it took a couple of years, um, which which was nice. Um, I'd say the the challenge at a little company like Optiva was just the fact that um, you know it's all like. There's something really exciting about being at small companies, which is like you do things and, it, and and you can see what a big impact you have. It's another like form of feedback loop yeah. and I love feedback loops so much. Um, the tighter the better. So I just there was just different times where I was just completely obsessed with like landing new deals or, or, or doing a great work on this project and I would just let myself get fully sucked into it where I'd be thinking about it all the time. And that's where it was just like a really tough, um, balancing act with my family because I'd be like, my kids were your kid's age back then, yeah, two and four or whatever. And we're not having deep conversations or anything like I do with my kids now who are teenagers. So it's easy to just zone out and be thinking about other problems and just like checking your phone or whatever. Yeah. Um, because Hey, like, and I'm also feeling financial stress and so I, I want to like, I've got a lot of things, my ego and, and, uh, just wanting, wanting to be successful and financial stress, like pushing me away from my family and towards work. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was a, it it was, it wasn't as much about, there wasn't much travel back then because as a company, we really valued wanting to work locally because we didn't want to be away from our family a lot. But, um, but it was definitely difficult. Um, to work at a small, for a small business and be like a, try to be a, like a, become a partner at a small business while trying to be a good partner at home. Just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: would, would you say you found some success in that or like you, you're, so you're about 10 years down the road of me, you know, in my, my stage of life with my kids. And it's like, you always hear people saying like, looking back, it's like, oh, I wish I would have done that or whatever, you know, like, but looking back in retrospect, how do you feel like that, you know? you felt like it was, it was a big struggle, but what are some things that like worked or how did you, how did you be intentional in that time?
1: You know? I mean, I think the most intentional thing I did was, um, was a couple of things. One was, uh, leaving ThoughtWorks, which is hard because, um, there's great people there and there's still great people there, you know, 10 years later. Um, so that was difficult, but, uh, um, but also, at the same time I left ThoughtWorks, I chose a four person, a three person company as opposed to my other option was Bank of America, uh, which would have been a lot simpler and yeah. I amedi- immediately, I mean, an immediately bigger payoff for my family with lots more vacation time and, um, and stuff like that. Um, so I, I mean, my, my wife was awesome and, 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 said like, it's up to you, you know, um, to take the lower salary and half as much vacation and, um, you know in this random no name company in, in a suburb of Chicago um, but but yeah that so that so that was pretty that was an intentional choice um, and then we were very I, I, and I, I was able to as a kind of more senior person in the company I I think our founder w- was let, let me in may have a bigger influence you know mm-hmm. and when I would say things like let's Let's have local people. Let's, let's be about local people working locally. like, I think he, he took that and uh, ran with it. So we, that, that was part of our culture from, from, from early days. Um, in like, in terms of, you know, I, I think if I could do anything over again, um, you know, I, I think I did a good job of being present, like physically, but like I said before, I, there was many times where I was unnecessarily distracted. Like I think, the exact same sort of outcomes would have happened um, if I had just let myself unplug more, like mm-hmm. at certain times of the day. I have a good friend who lives lives just up the road here, um, who works in tech, uh, not as much of a hands-on programmer, but works in tech in, in kind of in the, in the same kind of pace that I do. And he he had a really he would have he have he had better boundaries than I did, and he would say you know what you can like to his company. He'd say, you can have me from like, um, or you can have me any time of the day. Like I'll, I'll do, I'll work for you anytime except between like 5 PM and 10 Mm PM. Like I'll, I'll, and I, and I, and I've done that. Like I've like shut down, you know, around that dinner, like between like dinner time and bedtime, like I'm going to be offline and I'll get back on later. Yeah. You know, I've done that many, many times in my life. Um, and I and I wish I'd done a better job of that. Um, that's probably the one thing I would I would change.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that that was not really valuable time, even though you're taking. So, like the outcome wouldn't have been any different, but yet you like kind of felt like it I, would be at the time. Mean,
1: it was just so. It was a huge. I felt like the any sort of productivity I had during that time was really really marginal, and yet my family could the cumulative effect of me being more and more distracted during the, during that time. Uh, just, yeah, definitely had some negative effects on my marriage. Mm-hmm.
0: So being a counselor though, you had all
1: the solutions to that, right? Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was like perfect, right?
1: Um, uh, no, that helps you fix other people's problems. not <laughs> yours. <laughs>
0: So, so then after Optiva, you transitioned into having a pretty active role in Starter League, right? Where you're being more of
1: of a teacher, teaching other people. So, so let me tell you, yeah. So, actually, it was Optiva to then Groupon. Okay, yeah. Right. So at Optiva, one of the things I did there was um, helped grow an apprenticeship program, Mm -hmm. where we would take in um, people without any real real credentials as software developers and, and, and level them up. Um, to become great software developers for us oh hold on one sec um, and in the and I really I really enjoyed that process I ended up writing a book about apprenticeship during those years kind of somewhat inspired by my my transition into software development you know in my mid20s and, uh, and yeah so um, oh yeah so I, so I, I got very involved in apprenticeship and, and helping people get ramped into the, into the industry. Um, so I was really primed in 2010, 2011 to, um, I was actually starting to already think about like, all right, well, what's the next step up from there? You know, like where do apprentices come from? How can we, um, and I was honestly just getting frustrated with the lack of diversity, in gender and, 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 ethnic, um, coming in like a plot and applying, you know, to our program. Uh, like, what can we do? I, like I was getting more and more sensitive to what I refer to as latent human potential mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, getting frustrated by the fact that I knew that like there's huge segments of the population that really aren't participating in software development, this great career, in my opinion. But um, they weren't participating, but I know that they have the ability to, right? Yeah. So they're just like in jobs they don't like or whatever, or they're making less money for their families than they would like to be, and they totally could be. So anyway, that that kind of pushed me in, in, in towards these boot camps, right, these coding schools. Um, and I was thinking about what those should look like and how that should work. I was talking with friends about it, and then I met Neil mm-hmm. in spring of 2011. And he had a, an idea. He was someone who had just taught himself the program over over the course of about a year. And, but he was also a very entrepreneurial person, and so he saw an opportunity – and instead of like, you know, pursuing a career as a software developer, he was like, oh, I can just stay right here and help people do what I just did, you know. And he and he was one of the first people um, like people like him and Jeff Casimir um, and also a guy named Sharif Bache, all kind of had were working in the same space at the same time and, and came up with these programs where instead of taking two or four years, you could take between three and six months, mm-hmm. you know, to get to get to make this work. Um, and I was, I got very involved with, um, starter league. It was called code Academy back then because it was a Chicago company. Um, but I wasn't full time there. I was just a, like a uh, volunteer mentor. Okay. And because I, because I was working at Groupon, we had just gotten acquired and I wanted to stay there for a while. But a year later though, I, um, I ended up deciding to not go to starter league when I left Groupon, I decided to join Dev bootcamp. Okay. Because um, I got to know Sharif, uh, this guy out in San Francisco, who'd started Dev Bootcamp in San Francisco, and and I decided in late two thousand twelve to bring Dev Bootcamp to Chicago. Um, and that's what I and so so I left I left Groupon after about a year after the acquisition, and then um, started Dev Bootcamp in Chicago in two thousand thirteen, and uh, and I've been working on that for the last um, three years. Okay. Three and a half years? Yeah, no, three yeah, years. Three
0: years. Wow. So then getting back, so so then there's a pattern of teaching that has been kind of throughout your last, you know, uh, last couple stints. How, how do you translate that? I mean, your desire for teaching this, unleashing this human um, potential. How do, you, how do you do that with your kids? Like, what, what do you, how do you feel like that's transferred into your role as a parent? You know, like what, obviously it's core at what you're passionate about and what you care about. I mean, do you feel like that has been like one of the things I talked to Jeff Casimir about was, you know, how lessons that he's you know, cares about in his in teaching his development students, the same he's doing at home with like his toddlers, you know, <laughs> he's like holding these high standards and stuff. So curious where the intersection is there. Dave Yeah. um
1: So. Being like a being a self-taught software developer has definitely. And, and, so there's a big difference, I'd say, or maybe a subtle difference between me and Jeff. We both care deeply about people's potential and in helping people enter this field in a really positive way. Um, that said, I would say one of Jeff's, Jeff's one of the best teachers that I'm aware of, you know, in our field. I, on the other hand, um, I think it, I, I'm, I'm a really good learner. Um, and, I, and, and being self-taught and not really honestly having a lot of great teachers in my academic history i think i'm i have a really strong bias towards learning versus Mm -hmm. teaching and um and i and i know that uh i know that you know like jeff at at turing and i and even at starter league they 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 had an amazing teacher there as well for a long time um also named jeff Um, and for me at Dev Bootcamp, one of the reasons that resonated with me is because actually it works without having like super duper, highly expert teachers mm-hmm. that the, the, the program works because, um, it can be run by software developers who like to teach. Okay, um, okay. and so just to get back to your question though, I, so I tend to have a little bit more of like a soft, like a hands off approach with my kids. Um, when it comes to uh, what they're learning, I, I tend to wait for them to pull me in as opposed to pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I definitely have exposed them all different times, just and really pushed them, gave them a nudge towards programming. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to like um, teach teach anything to them without them asking me to. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, so and so that's just my way that that's the way i approach things and it because i know that like i wasn't really like that that's just the way that i learned best is like i don't want to be taught anything until i'm um asking the right questions mm-hmm. yeah and and when i have a real need to learn it um and so yeah so with my youngest um who's probably been the most interesting when it comes to like academics and his interests um he he's it's it's been really fun he's become very passionate about legos he's 11 now and uh he's let me know that he wants to learn to program uh but i i, I sense that it's going to happen through physical things mm-hmm. like robots and 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 um 3d printers and just he he's just starting to do like this programming in, in um in minecraft using these oh. command box things and so My worry is just that like I'm, I'd be like, I don't want to overpower them with my excitement and enthusiasm for something I want. I'd rather let them find something that they're passionate about and then just gently nudge them from the edges, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because again, like that was pretty, pretty much the most empowering thing that I've ever felt is like wanting to learn something and being able to learn it. Well, not completely independently because that never really worked for me. Right. Like I always needed somebody nearby, but I want to be that nearby person for my kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, that's one of the reasons I just want to like um, I want to be around right now. Yeah. Or like in the house, like working remotely um, so that I can be that like um,
0: helpful person nearby. So how do you then expose them to those options that are available? So it sounds like you're taking the approach of like, hey, I want to g- I want to give them exposure to what's out there. Give them exposure to the potential of coding, the, sure. the potential of family psychology or whatever, if you want, but then I'm going to maybe nudge you one way, but available to give that feedback loop on if they have questions about it, you know? Sure. So uh,
1: with my daughter, I, there was a, a female uh, like designer programmer early on at Optiva who I had like uh, meet with Rose a couple times. Uh, taught her some HTML and made a way and I built, and I, and I made a little webpage with Rose and put some images on there and just just so she could understand like web pages aren't like magic. They're just a bunch of text, you know? Um, with my middle son, it's, uh, it's a tougher road. So he has, um, he has one of the same mental blocks that I had when I was a teenager. Um, like I said, I started teaching myself to program when I was twelve, and then gave up on it for lots of reasons. But one reason I never came back to it until I was after after college was because I was a football player, and football players don't program. I don't know if you know that. But <laughs> I can't say I've met one that does. <laughs> uh, it's a physical impossibility, apparently, or maybe it's a social impossibility. Uh, and honestly, like during high school and college, where when I played football, I like I just couldn't. Even though I in college where I, I was a college football player but I, and I would go to the computer lab and download video games on the floppy disks. But I still uh, couldn't quite bring myself to becoming a like a programmer because of the social stigmas and like that. And, and I don't even know if the computer programmers would have. Like I, I just remember in high school, there was the guys that hung out at the computer lab and then there was football players and there was zero overlap. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so with my middle son, he's, he's an athlete. And I think he's got some hangups about it. Um, so I think that, So I'll, I'll just be patient. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. Um, with my youngest, uh, he's an athlete too, but he. But he is a self-proclaimed like I will work at Lego, like I'm going to work at Lego someday. Like he is. So I think he's headed down the more mechanical engineering or maybe computer engineering route. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, see,
0: it sounds like that identity thing is core to some of the diversity that you've talked about. I mean, that's one of the things you see with the diversity. It's like people, women specifically getting into tech there because there's lack of women there. Then the women can't picture themselves as being a software developer. I assume there's
1: such a strong uh, stereotype and and which is I mean, I think at a certain moment in time about 30 years ago, um, the stereotype wasn't true, but suddenly com- movies started being made about like white men programmers, war games, weird science, mm. stuff like that, which are fun movies A Tron. A Tron's one of the movies that got me into programming when yeah. I was 12, <laughs> uh, but all like these white male protagonists. and And then it ended up becoming true, right? Like t- 20 years later, 10 years later, it was actually that most people programming were white men.
0: Right.
1: Um, and and it's it's and now it's just this, you know, this this cycle that were that a lot of people are trying to break out of thankfully. But it it's yeah, it keeps a lot of people out of it unfortunately.
0: Yeah. So lo- looking back on, you know, your your teenage age kids Um, but someone that has kind of the toddler age, you know, maybe more like my kids, like, you know, two and four, Mm -hmm. what, what, what pieces of advice, um, would you give if you had to give just, you know, one or two things to say to, you know, guy that's having his first baby and maybe he's a starting a company or he's, he's, you know, a partner at a, a growing company, you know, what, what, what piece of advice would you give to him?
1: Um, yeah, for, for the new father, um, Hmm. yeah for the new father i mean i would give that same advice that my buddy down the street gave me which was dedicate a certain number a certain block of time every day and probably the same exact block of time hopefully that you're going to be offline um and and really just be as fully present as possible to your family um yeah, that's probably the best advice I can give. I wish I'd done a better job at that. Um, and and now I am able to do it more, but it's also like my kids aren't around as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. They're heading all over the place, right? They're they're going to events after school, and I'm driving them to sports or whatever. Um, and and yeah, so I I'd say you know just dedicate some time. Uh, there might be a lot of downtime. You might be tempted to pull your phone out and check your email or whatever during that time because like the kid fell asleep or you're bored or something. But, um, I don't know. I would, I would, I would just try to be disciplined about that, that time block every day. Yeah. So critical. I will say, um, for those fathers that, uh, had kids young, which is less, less and less these days. But, um, I had, my wife and I had kids very young and I felt like I actually ended up becoming an advantage in the long term. um, it was hard to have a baby when you're like 24, um, and get pregnant when you're 23. But, uh, the nice thing for me was I never had, like, it's, it can be very difficult to be a good, strong programmer or whatever, entrepreneur or whatever. uh, you know, from the ages of like 22 to 26 or, or 30 or something and then have a baby, right? Cause it's a mm-hmm. huge, a huge change in your life. Yeah um I will say so so don't under don't underestimate that and that it's probably going to it's probably going to take the wind out of your entrepreneurial sales or your or yeah or your career sales for 6 months to a year and that's fine you have got a long long life ahead of you um but for those fathers who are finding themselves having a a, a baby young <laughs> the silver lining is you have less of a transition to make later and you're going to you're going to be better at balancing things uh, because you, because it's just going to be normal to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, to me, I've never known programming without babies around or, or kids around, so that's that's a somewhat of an advantage for me.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point, though. I mean, you're you're thrown into the fire, so to speak. You know. Yeah, saying?
1: it's not, uh, Yeah, it's a silver lining because uh, yeah. it's there's definitely some clouds. Yeah. <laughs> in That situation.
0: Hey, well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate the time.
1: No problem. On top.
0: thanks for listening to the show you can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com if you liked what you heard or just want to say hi you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com please leave a review on itunes if you like the show it helps us to get the word out to the most people possible the podcast production is done by maria van dyken and the show is made possible through the support of ec group international building software teams since 1999